Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. So glad you made it on, is it Labor Day weekend, right? Labor Day weekend. All right, turn to your other neighbor and say, it's only four more days. Four more days to NFL football. Right? Lord help us. Lord help all those cowboy fans because it's going to be a rough year. All right. Well, I'm glad you made it here today. Um, the title of my message is, I, I actually really don't have a title, but if you like titles, you, just, you could just write, this is going to be my last message in this kind of sermon series. You could just write down love. Everyone put love. It's the thing that I'm going to focus on. I'm going to talk about a few things, but uh, if you are a note taker, love is what I'll be focusing on today among a few other things. Um, before I get into um, a message. It's funny as, as a parent of, if you don't know this, I, and many of you know this, I am a father of seven children. And uh, usually when I tell, thank you, yes, I don't know if you know that uh, the population in the United States of America is plummeting, right? For, it's not population, excuse me, fertility rates are plummeting. So my wife and I are doing our part. We're doing our part. But, but when I tell people that, hey, uh, we have seven kids, my wife and I, I usually get the blank stare and I have to like come back with, I promise I'm not a part of a cult, right? So, but one of the most frustrating things about being a parent of seven kids is not the chaos. How many of you have children, right? So as parents, you, you, you get to a point where um, you're either going to break down and lose it or you're just going to turn into an adult and just... Uh, expect chaos every day. So my wife and I, we chose the, the latter um, choice that uh, we, we decided breaking down would not be a good, good strategy for our family. So anyways, um, we, we fully expect every single day to be thrown into the deep end of the pool with our seven children. We have four toddlers. You cannot imagine what raising four toddlers, two two-year-olds and two three-year-olds at the same time is like. Okay, it's just... It is, it is amazing, it's befuddling, it's beautiful, it's a blessing, it's a burden, I cry a lot. Um, but hey, it's, it's, it can be frustrating. Like it's, it, at times, life can be very chaotic raising seven kids. There are times when I look at my wife and I'm like, babe, uh, are wolves raising our babies? You know, do we have, do we have feral children? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my daughter, my beautiful daughter, Waverly, everyone would say Waverly. Waverly, I just love little Waverly. She is just amazing. She has a heart for God. I'm just declaring this over her because she has a little rebellious streak. Um, but I can't remember the full story, but she was eating Cheerios. I don't know if she wasn't supposed to eat Cheerios. So I came to her and said, hey, you can't have Cheerios. And her response to me was nothing. And then she looks at me and she goes, you don't eat Cheerios. And I'm like, oh my God, we, have, we are raising a wolf baby, right? Or a demon or something. I don't know what it is. Okay. So, uh, but, but our life is chaotic, but that's not the most frustrating thing about raising seven kids. The most frustrating thing, and I think my wife would agree uh, with me when it comes to raising seven kids is that we just always forget where we put our keys in our phones. Parents, do you, have you ever 
And is it called dad brain, mom brain, parent brain? It's, it's so frustrating losing, especially when there's so much chaos around. You want some control. And when you lose your keys and when you lose your, your phones, right, it can be very frustrating. This happens to us on almost a daily, it's a daily occurrence for us. The problem with forgetting our phones and our keys is also the reality that our kids sometimes, everyone say sometimes, our kids sometimes steal our keys and phones and put them in bizarre places. So you have this, this double problem of, okay, you forgot where you put your keys or your phone, but you also had to think, okay, about the scenario, because your mind then goes down the rabbit hole of all the different scenarios wherein your kid could have put a phone or a key in. And it's crazy what they can do in a matter of two seconds with your phone and your keys, right? So at, at times you'll find yourself in uh, the crawl space upside down wondering where the phone is. You're like, oh my God, I've lost my mind. There's no way a kid could put a phone or a key in a crawl space. The point is forgetfulness, man, forgetfulness is frustrating. Chaos is something that we can manage. Chaos is to be expected. We are thrown in when we ra we're raising seven children. We're thrown in the deep end of the pool. But forgetfulness or forgetting where our keys and where our phone is or are is a very frustrating experience. This is what I want to say today before I get into our message. The Bible tells us that remembering, everyone say remembering, remember is the second most, you've heard this often, repeated command in the Bible. Everyone say remember. Remember is the second most after do not be afraid. Remember is the second most repeated command in the Bible. And so what the Bible is telling us, what God is telling us is that we must remember who we are. Why? Because as humans, we always forget. We are forgetful by definition. We forget so many times, don't shout me down here today. We forget who we are in, in God's presence. Many times we just kind of go through life and we forget how good God is. We forget that God is absolutely faithful and loving to us, right? And it isn't because we nefariously forget and we refuse that, uh, that this belief that God is good. It's just so many times we just go through life and we just become forgetful. We forget about all of this stuff. And so as we close out this series, I've been kind of in this series off and on over the last month and a half on love and blessing. There are three essentials that I want us to remember as we move into the fall. And if your desire is to walk in the power of God, if your desire is to walk in his life, we cannot forget these three things. We must remember one, love, Two, purpose. Three, a spirit-filled life. One love, purpose. And the last one is we must remember, we cannot be forgetful that our life is absolutely dependent upon the spirit. So as we begin with the, as we begin here today, we're going to start with the baptism of Jesus as D read for us. In, in, excuse me, in Luke chapter 3, we have the heavens are open. Jesus is at his baptism. John is baptizing him. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And then what happens? The Father then speaks, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
Then we find in Matthew chapter 4, you guys with me here this morning? Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, Luke tells us, is filled with the Spirit, and then is, this is a weird paradox, led into the wilderness? How, how does that make sense? Right? You're filled with the Spirit. You think everything then would be fine. Right? In the 80s, we used to say hunky-dory. I don't even know what that means, right? Everything would be cool, right? The blessed life. Everything is going to be smooth sailing from here. I'm filled with the Spirit. But that's not how our life before God works. Jesus, who's our model, I'm going to talk more about this, is filled with the Spirit, and then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness, which is an echo of Genesis chapter 1, the tohu wohu, which is a desert wasteland. Jesus is led into the wilderness because Luke is telling us to confront Hasatan, the Satan. So this is, a, this is a story framed around conflict. Do you know the Christian story is engulfed in cosmic warfare? The life is not just a picnic if you want to follow Jesus. The things aren't always going to go your way. That we should expect some chaos. But the good news is, Psalm 24, the voice of the Lord is over the chaos. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. Amen. So Jesus goes into the desert, not so he could just simply be tested. Luke is telling us a story that this whole drama of confronting the Satan is all about Jesus preparing himself or being trained by his Father to confront the Satan. So for 40 days, this is not testing, for 40 days, Jesus is in training in order to defeat the Satan. Then Jesus defeats the Satan, and we find, I think this is very purposeful by Luke, in verse 14, Luke tells us, after the temptation narrative, after the a confrontation with the Satan, Jesus then returns in the power of the Spirit. He begins, this whole drama begins with Jesus is filled with the Spirit. He goes into the wilderness. He confronts the Satan. He's training. He's preparing his heart and his mind for this confrontation. And then verse 14, Luke tells us he returns in the power of the Spirit. This is our model as followers of Jesus. God wants you to walk in his power. But there are some things that we have to understand if we want to walk in God's power and we want to walk in the victory that God has for us. But here's the thing. We all know this, guys. Life is filled with temptations designed to stall the good purposes of God in your life. Right? So what's the nature of the temptation? I can't fully explain this here today. But as we kind of go through the nature of temptation we can begin with Henry Nouwen. He describes the temptations that we find in Luke chapter 4 as a Satan comes to Jesus as a temptation for relevance, which I would call immediacy. Relevance is all about this desire for God to move right now according to my expectations. So relevance is the first temptation. Turn, turn this, these, these stones into bread. What is that? That's all about relevance and immediacy. The other temptation is, hey, Jesus, why don't you just throw yourself off the tower, right? Or the, temp the temple tower, right? This is the temptation of the spectacular. Or we could call this, this is the temptation of achievement. 
Just achievement on your own terms. And then we have Satan coming to Jesus. If you just worship me, fall down on my knees, I'll give you all the power you want. So this is the temptation of power. Or we could call it the temptation of wanting to control time and space for our own benefit. Do you know that? That built into every temptation is a desire for control. I'll say it this way. My professor says the temptations are formed around these three things. Number one, will I trust God even if he doesn't meet my needs? Number two, will I wait for God's timing and not force him to act? Never say this, guys. God, if you don't do this, I won't do this. That's the nature of of the second temptation. The third temptation is, will I refuse or we refuse whatever God's way to take an easier route? So the the whole nature of this temptation drama is formed around this question. Will Jesus trust his father's blessing and provision or will he take a shortcut? Guys, Jesus does take five loaves and and two fish or two whatever and transforms it, right, and feeds 15,000 people. The question is not whether Jesus will take like rocks or whatever or take fish and food and feed a lot of people. The temptation is about will you do what you want to do on your own terms or will you trust the timing of God? Are you hearing me? So the ultimate, ultimately, every temptation revolves around or is framed around shortcuts. And as Americans, guys, come on, we all love shortcuts. We love short lines. We want to get through life fast. Americans are all about speed. Internet keeps on. We're going to get killed by the Internet, guys. Wi-Fi and all the 5G stuff. I'm not into the 5G stuff. Whatever. You can all have your whatever opinions about 5G. But man, it's all about having the fastest Wi-Fi, right? The fastest phone. I need everything now, 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 now. What's that, that silly old commercial? I need my money and I need it right now. And the guy screams it, right? This is the nature of temptation and this temptation is so germane to where many of us find ourselves in our American way of life. The question is this, according to Ignatius of Loyola, is will we trust that God only wants our deepest happiness? Or in his definition is a definition of sin is will we refuse to believe that God only wants our deepest happiness? So the question that we have to answer is this. How does Jesus win the victory over all of these powerful temptations? The answer is, number one, love. Love, according to Luke and the entire New Testament, is the power of God. Please hear me. Love is the power of God. How is that? Well, let me explain. Three times Jesus hears the audible voice of God in the Gospels. I've I've mentioned this before. Each time Jesus hears these specific words from his Father, 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Three times, Jesus hears the audible voice of God. And three times, the father says to his son, you are my son, I love you, and I'm well pleased in you. These words are the most important words ever spoken over Jesus. Jesus, the son of God. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus is the centerpiece of human history. No? Jesus, the son of God, is utterly dependent upon these words of affirmation, acceptance, and love. Because it's in these words or knowing the love of his father that Jesus possesses the strength to fulfill his mission, to overcome, this, uh, overcome the Satan, to confront him, and to win the victory over the temptations. The love of God is the source of all life. If Jesus needed to hear these words multiple times, how much more do you think you and I need to hear these words? I said this a couple weeks ago, but many of us think that, oh, the love of Jesus is like the ABCs of Christianity. And once we kind of figure that out when we're in Sunday school, we graduate from that, and then we kind of go on our life and we talk about bigger things about God or whatever. That's just, that's, that's balderdash. That's nonsense. Jesus and his love for us, or the Father's love for us, is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. It's everything for us. You hearing me? It is absolutely everything for us. If Jesus is utterly dependent upon the words of his Father, so must we be dependent on the words of the Father. And we're not just talking about words, guys. These are wonderful words, and they're absolutely important, but these words imply intimacy. What the church needs today is not just some nice, pretty words. The church today in the West needs intimacy with the Father. The reason why we have no power is because we simply have a form of godliness. What does that mean? Well, it's we have a form of relationship with God, but when you get down to the, it's a surface thing, but when you really get down to it, there's no interactive, intimate relationship with the Father. In fact, the power of God, and I've been talking about this for the last few weeks, emanates from our intimate, real, interactive relationship with Jesus. If it is the case we have no power in our life, it's most likely tied to the fact that we have no intimate relationship with our Father. In other words, we've become forgetful. Where are the keys, babe? Where's the phone? I don't know, right? And when you don't have the keys, what can you not do? Drive the car. When you don't have the power of God operating in your life, you can't fully be who God's called you to be. So we must remember, are you hearing me this morning? We must remember that the love of God is the power of God in our lives. C.S. Lewis calls this love, or the words of affirmation, beloved son or daughter, he calls it the weight of glory. 
And this is what he means by the weight of glory. It means, in his words, good report with God. It means acceptance. It means um, response. It means acknowledgement and welcome into the heart of things. In his words, the door on which we have been knocking on all our lives will be open at last. That desire, that longing to be on the inside of reality that forms our spirituality is fulfilled in Jesus and in the words of the Father that you and I in Christ are loved. For us, this means that it's not just simply that we get to know God according to 1 Corinthians 8.3. It means that we are known by God. We're seen. We're understood. We're accepted because of Jesus. God knows us. And he loves us in, in unimaginable ways. This means that many of you here today, you're struggling with something. You're struggling with something maybe deep and maybe you haven't told your spouse or maybe you haven't told someone that you're accountable to, but you're in a struggle. You know what that means? When you really begin to know that you're loved by the Father, that even though you're struggling with something or you're going through something really difficult, your Father loves you and he's your helper. Some of you here today are struggling with heartache. Maybe over the last few months, you just can't break this heartache or maybe this deep depression in your life. Or maybe it's been a decade, a decade, and, and you just and you struggle over it and, and you're in it. And you, sometimes you get out of it, but then you get in it and you're in this vicious cycle of depression or heartache. When you really begin to know that your love Loved by the Father, you're set free from that. Yeah, sometimes some people are miraculously set free from it. Sometimes it's a process. But ultimately, when you immerse yourself in these words of affirmation that you are beloved, you're a son and a daughter of the Father. Come on. You're free. Some of you, you're turning things over and over and over and over in your heads. You're worrying about your future. You're worrying about your money. You're worrying about your family. You're worrying about your body. I understand that. But when you know you're loved and when you're in this intimate, interactive relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to hear the words that, hey, it's going to be okay. Some of you need to hear this. Julian of Norwich, she was, she lived, I think, 13th century. She comes down with sickness, probably, we don't know, maybe bubonic plague or whatever. Everyone was dying in her village. She's dying. Doctor comes to her and says, you know, this is probably your last day alive. She goes to sleep. She has a vision from Jesus. Jesus comes to her and Jesus says, Julian, all is well and all matter of things shall be well. She wakes up, the fever breaks. Her life is transformed. God spared her life. I love those words, and I want to speak that over everyone in this room. Jesus is saying the same thing. All is well in all matter of things. Not just a few things. All manner of things shall be well. It is Romans 8. God works all things out. Not just some things. All things with your body. All things with your money. All things with your psychology. All things with your mind. 
all things with your heart, all things with that chronic condition, all things with your children, all things with your grandkids, all things with the economy. Come on, somebody. All things with everything that's related to you. So it means that we are known by God. It means we're not utterly and absolutely on the outside. We're not repelled. When God says, you're my son, you're my daughter, we're not exiled, we're not estranged, we're not unspeakably ignored. That's not us. It's funny, uh, we were at a wedding, my wife and I, this uh, last Friday night, and uh, we gave cake to our kids, which is not a good idea. So they were all, and we stayed at this wedding way too late, and my kids were starting to get a little bit cranky, but my youngest son, again, we have seven kids, and there's only two of us. It's zone defense. So it's like, okay, what emergency do we need to address first, right? It's like triage. It's like, okay, we got to, like, prioritize uh, when it's only two of us. But I remember it was kind of the end of the night. My son Riley started. He was melting down just melting down. I had two toddlers in my arms and um, I was trying to console them. Riley comes up to me, just dirt all over his face. Just, you know, he's crying. And I said, okay, hold. And I know he wants me. He wants me to hold him. And so I look at Riley and go, Riley, I can't hold you right now. I got two other babies. Daddy's not an octopus. Okay. And he looks at me and he just gets angry and he stomps his foot. He says, no, daddy. He goes, hold me, daddy. And then he just dropped on the ground, right? He said, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't. Okay. So I dropped the other two kids. They start crying. <laughs> Pick up Riley. Hold him. My other two kids are like, daddy. And then I'm like, oh, God, right? Why do we have seven kids? Okay. But you know what? What's, what's, what's going on with Riley, Riley is like all of us. He just, he had a long day, too much sugar, too much cake, too much, you know, wedding. It's late. And what does he want? He wants to be acknowledged, right? He wants to be met with a response. He wants his dad. He wants to be held. That's all of us, right? We want to be seen. And when you know you're seen by your father in heaven, That changes everything. Remember, love is power. Love is power. You are not, if you're in Christ here today, you are not estranged. You're not ignored. You're not not accepted. Come on, somebody. You are accepted. You are loved. And you are known by the Father. Here's the thing. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die on the cross in order to love us, right? Jesus died for the world on a cross because God loved us. And again, in the words of C.S. Lewis, this means that God did not merely pity us, but delighted in us as an artist delights in his work or as a mother delights in her son. It seems impossible, guys, to be loved this much by God. It seems like this weight, in the words of C.S. Lewis, or this burden of glory which our thoughts cannot hardly sustain. But I love this, what he says. But so it is. So it is. God loves you and has accepted you. 
Yes, he doesn't condone every action that we make. And yes, God will meet us where we're at in our mess and transform us and heal us. Come on, somebody. We'll take our brokenness and make all things new. But God loves us in our sin. He loves us in our failure. He loves us in our pain. He loves us in our suffering. He loves us in our darkness. He loves us when we didn't do what we, he asked us to do. He loves us. 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 And yeah, he'll transform us. And yes, come on, God will correct us. Yes, God at times will rebuke us. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love us. He loves us. And this is a burden or this is a weight which it's hard for us to contain. But here's the thing. So often we turn this longing to be acknowledged, uh, to be seen, uh, to be known, uh, we call it the spirituality. We take the spirituality and we turn it into sorcery. This is the dark side. By sorcery, I do not mean that, um, that uh, you, you convert to like a, a neo-pagan religion. You go into your kitchen and you start casting spells on people. Right? That would be weird, okay? And we'll have a conversation if that's what happens to you. What I mean by sorcery is, is it's just more simple. Sorcery is all about manipulating God's good creation for your own purposes. So what happens if we're not careful, we can take this longing, we can take this uh, desire to be seen, to be understood, and then we misdirect it. We manipulate it for our own benefits. We want to take shortcuts. So for example, when it comes to sex, how many of you think sex is good? Yes, sex is good. But how many of you know outside of marriage, sex is bad? Jesus uses the word pornea. Pornea, basically, it's a word we get, pornography. Pornea simply means any sexual activity outside of the covenant marriage between male and female is not according to God's design. So God invented sex. It's good. However, because some of us, we have this deep sense of longing. We want, we want fulfillment, and we want to take a shortcut. So we, we do things our own way. We take sex, and we misdirect it. And then it, it causes devastating consequences in our life. We take power. In other words, how many of you think power is good? Yes, power is good. But power turns bad when we turn people into things and we treat people with contempt and we use our resources to marginalize them, right? So there is a dark side to our spirituality, our longing to be seen. If we're not careful, we can take that longing and turn it into a sorcery where we're using God's good things for our own benefit. This is why we must immerse ourselves in the love of the Father. If we don't immerse ourselves in the love and the truth that we find in the New Testament, we start seeking out ways in which we can bring fulfillment on our own terms in our lives. For example, Henry Nouwen says this, he wrote in his, I think this is powerful, in his diary, he says this, at 10 a.m., I had my weekly meet, meeting, we'll call him John. I asked him about my fatigue, which keeps plaguing me every time I become involved with people, especially after retreat for this particular college. It was a real problem, he writes. John then said, his um, spiritual advisor, uh, that I should accept this condition by taking the necessary extra sleep. How many of you think sleep is good? So that's good. But he also made a very clear um, point that it was definitely a big situation that I was going through. 
And then this is what Henry Nouwen wrote. I put too much energy into my encounter as if I have to prove each time anew that I am worth being with. And this is what John, his spiritual advisor, said. You put your whole identity at stake. And every time um, you feel like you have to start from scratch. And he goes this, prayer and meditation um, are important here because in them you can find your deepest identity. And that keeps you from putting your whole self on the line every time you work with other people. He also told me that it proves, um, that is a proven fact that those who meditate regularly uh, need less sleep. And he went on and on and on when it comes to this identity struggle. What was Henry Nouwen struggling with? He was struggling with fatigue. He was struggling with proving himself. He was struggling with, okay, people-pleasing. He was struggling with achievement. He was struggling with manipulating appearances. Why was he struggling with all of that? Why was he just plumb exhausted? Because he forgot that he's a son. That he's loved. Even if the students don't love him back, he's loved by the Father. I don't know about you, but I would rather have the love of the Father than, I'll say this, and this is because I love you guys, I know you love me, but I would have, I would prefer the love of the Father and speak the truth and you all hate me and you leave the church. I'd rather have that than not have the love of the Father and have your love. And I love your love. And I hope you love my love, right? I'm not saying anything negative about that. But the love of the Father is the most important thing about our lives. If it was the most important thing in the life of Jesus, guys, should be the same for us. Two, what is happening at the baptism of Jesus? How does Jesus overcome the temptation? How does Jesus do what he did in his public ministry? How did Jesus walk in the power of God? Well, it was purpose. The Father speaks over Jesus and he says, what? My son. You're my son. What is that? What's going on here? Well, you don't have to be a biblical scholar. I'll do that for, I'll do all the exegetical work for you. So unpack this little statement. My son is a reference to an allusion to Psalm 2, 2 Samuel chapter 7. We go to Psalm 89. This word son is messianic language. My son, my beloved son. This messianic figure that we find prophesied about in the Old Testament was all about a coming king who would renew the cosmos, cleanse creation of its sin and all of the evil and would make all things new. So when the father speaks to Jesus that you are my son, what is he saying? He is saying, this is your messianic vocation. So what is going on in this baptism of Jesus? Jesus is receiving his purpose from his father. Purpose. The Bible says this, and Mark Francie a couple weeks ago mentioned this, and I think it's great. So, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 29, 18 says, without vision, purpose, revelation, people perish. They cast off what? Restraint. The verb perish means to let go. It means that the people are let loose. It means the people run wild. 
Psalm 33, 11, I love this passage, says this, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Purpose, vision, revelation is essential in our lives if we want to overcome the flesh, the world, the devil, and fulfill the mission that God has for us. At the baptism of Jesus, Jesus receives his purpose. And in those 40 days, I think what he did is, as he prepared for the confrontation with the Satan, I think he just rehearsed who he was. I think he rehearsed those words. I am the son. This is my messianic vocation. I'm not just loved that I'm loved by the father. And, I'm, and, I, and, and the father's well pleased in me. But I think he rehearsed the scripture and he prayed and he obviously fasted for 40 days as he remembered what Jeremiah talked about the Messiah, as he remembered what Isaiah talked about regarding the Messiah. Like he was immersing himself, in other words, in the purpose that God has for him, his father had for him. This is why Drake is right. Drake is right. God has a plan or God's plan, whatever it is. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. God has purpose. God has plans for you. God has plans, please hear me, for every generation. You mean history is a plot? Yes. It, history is a narrative arc? Yes. Are you telling me, Chris, that history is not just um, the, the collocation of random atoms and molecules crashing together? Or just arbitrary forces, economic, political, psychological, just crashing together and making up our, our state of affairs? Yes, history is not that. History has a purpose. Guys, we're going somewhere. God has a plan for every generation. God also has a plan and a purpose for your personal life history and story. Did you know that? Your personal history, your personal story has a purpose. This is why I know many of us are confounded when we go through the Bible and we have all these genealogies. What is genealogies about? Well, genealogies are about generations. And what are generations about? Well, Psalm 33 kind of gives us the, the clue. Uh, generations are all about God's purpose. God has a purpose for every generation. This is why God says about himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As I mentioned this last week, according to one author, God is tying himself to a specific people, to a generational line. Are you hearing me? But he's doing this because he has a purpose for Abraham. He has a purpose for Isaac. He has a purpose for Jacob. He had a purpose for David. He had a purpose for Solomon. He had a purpose for Rebecca. He had a purpose for Ruth. He had a purpose for Boaz. He had a purpose for Elijah, Elisha. He had a purpose. He had a purpose. He had a purpose for Ken Wilde. He had a purpose for Susan Thornton. He had a, I could just go on and on and on. God has a purpose, not just for world history. He certainly does. But God has a purpose for specific people. God has a plan for you. You're not a cosmological fluke. You're not stardust. You're an image bearer with purpose. God has a purpose for your kids. God has a purpose for your grandkids. God has a purpose. You know, God is thinking right now about your great, great, great grandchildren. God, to, to say that God 
is generationally tied to you and your family is to say that God is a purposeful being. So if that logic is true, which it is, then I can declare this over you. You right now, I don't care what you've been through. I mean, I do hear what I'm saying. You've been through a lot. We've all been through crazy. But hear what I'm saying. You were, no matter what you've been through, no matter even how you feel about yourself or how you think about yourself, you were created for this moment because you have purpose. You were created for this specific time and hour. You've been given your unique personality. Even the color of your skin. It's purpose. There's purpose with that. Come on. Everything from your life history and everything you've been through, God has a purpose. And some of you like apple pie. I don't get that. That's weird. But outside of that, everything else, right, is according to God's plan. Exodus chapter 3 tells us this encounter that Moses has as I close with Yahweh. Yahweh reveals himself to Moses in, in a burning bush. Then you have a couple chapters of this kind of tete-a-tete, -tete, this conversation between Yahweh and Moses. I've mentioned this before, but I think it's so powerful. I think it bears repeating. Moses finally looks to Yahweh and says, um, I, I can't do what you're asking me to do. God, do you understand? I can't speak. How am I, I going to go to Pharaoh and rescue people when I have a disability? That's, that's essentially what he's saying. And then Moses responds by saying, Moses, I'm going to be with your mouth. So what God is telling Moses is not one, I will just simply give you the words to say so that you can speak to Pharaoh. He is saying that. But the stronger thing that God is saying to Moses is this. Moses, okay, I know you're frustrated. I know you're scared. I know you're being defined by your disability, but I just want to say this to you. You're exactly how I made you to be. I will be with your mouth. You're exactly who I want you to be. You're my guy. When, you're know, when you know in your bones that you are the father's guy, gal, whatever, when you know, you know, you know, Nothing's going to stop you. Nothing's going to stop you. When you're defined by the love of God and by his purpose for you, nothing can stop you. That's why as one author says this, the average person has up to 200 skills and talents. Don't tell yourself that you, you don't have anything to offer. I don't know if you know this, but your brain can store 100 trillion facts. That's, that's nuts. Your brain can also make 15,000 decisions a second. What? Your nose can smell, and I could go on and on and on, but your, your nose can smell 10,000 different odors. There's one odor in our house, it's called poop, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what we smell a lot. And we could go on and on and on when it comes to this, how sophisticated your body is. But even more stunning is that, man, if, if you were to look at your genetic makeup, the genetic stuff that makes you, you, Oh my God, you would just, it's, it's, it's dumbfounding how sophisticated you are. Why, why are you so sophisticated? Well, you have been purposed. The reason you are you is because you are a purposed being.
So Jesus knew the love of the Father. We call this identity. And Jesus knew uh, the story his Father gave him. We call this purpose. And because Jesus knew the love of the Father, and because Jesus knew the story that his Father gave him, again, purpose and love, that is how Jesus won the victory over the flesh, the devil, the world. That is also how Jesus walked in the power of God. So my question for you today is, do you know, number one, how much God loves you? Like, really know? Which implies, are, are you on a daily basis living from this interactive, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do you know you, you have access to that? That that's available to you? Do you also know that God has a vision and a dream for you? You know what's funny about secondhand smoke? We talk about it often. I remember in the 80s and 90s, we talked about it often. I don't see many people smoking today, but back then, everybody smoked, right? And so it was always on the commercials, and we always heard about secondhand smoke and how a person who smokes, if you're in the range, right, you can suffer serious consequences from inhaling that smoke in your body, right? Serious health consequences. The reason why I bring that up is because I also think that there's something to be said about secondhand dreaming. The more you're with Jesus, guys, the more you're going to dream. We call this secondhand dreaming. Second, it's, it's silly. I get it. Secondhand purpose. Secondhand visioning. Visionarying, right? You hearing me? As, as you in, participate in this interactive, intimate love relationship with the Father, what's... What's the, what's the overflow of that? What's the aftermath of that? That's vision. You're, gonna be, you, you, you're not going to live defined by small frame thinking. You're gonna, your, your frame of reference is going to grow. right? You're going to become a big frame thinker as you immerse yourself in the love of God. And as you immerse yourself in the love of God, you're going to, in his presence, be filled with the purpose of the Father. As I close, and I'm done here, finally, the last thing that we need more than anything to remember, we need to remember the love of God as we move into the fall. Midterms are right around the corner. Things are going to get crazy. How, how are we going to overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, and walk in the power of God? you got to know the love of God. You have to know your purpose. I, I, so many times we're just content with like, not living on purpose. We just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and we just don't even know what God has called us to do in this hour, in this time. I want that to be different for you today. But how do we get purpose? How do we get um, into the love of the Father? Well, we find at the baptism of Jesus, the heavens are torn open, and what happens before he hears the voice? It says that the Spirit of God came down on Jesus. So here's the thing. Just follow me really quick, and then I'll pray for you. Jesus lived the spirit-filled life perfectly, which means his baptism and spirit-empowered life is our model as we live for God. What does that mean, Chris? At the baptism of Jesus, the heavens were torn apart. The spirit of God descends on Jesus, the son. Jesus then hears the voice of the father. The point is, the source of Jesus's life is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who makes the love of the Father known 
to us. It's the Holy Spirit who actualizes the love of God and reveals the purpose of our Father to us. Romans 5, 5 says this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by what? The power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What's hope? Hope is purpose. Are you hearing me? The Holy Spirit is a person, according to one author, uh, was the divine power by which Jesus overcame his human limitations, rose above his human weakness, and won out over his human mortality. In other words, Jesus was the Spirit-anointed Messiah. And so this means, really simply, Jesus could do what he did not because he was God, of course, Jesus was fully God. Can I get an amen? Don't tweet me by saying that I didn't say Jesus is fully God, okay? Jesus is fully God and fully human. But he lived in the power of God, not because he was fully God. Rather, Jesus was able to live the way he lived in his public ministry and personal life because he was empowered by the Spirit. Acts 10, 38 says this, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus did not take out his God card and say, hey, I'm God, let's do a miracle. When you look at the hypostatic union of Jesus, don't even worry about that word, you look it up later. Jesus fully God, fully human, what did he do? He lived, and I talked about this last week, he lived from his humanity, utterly depended upon the spirit so that he could be a model for a spirit-empowered life. So many Christians think that, oh, Jesus, he lived the way that he lived because he's God, of course. Of course he had power because he pulled out his God card every day. Right? No, Jesus did not use his God card ever. He simply relied, at the same time being fully God, relied on the Spirit of God to fulfill his mission so that he could be a model for you and I. Many people are just so overwhelmed in life and they look at at Jesus and his life, and then you hear a preacher like me saying, oh, you can be like Jesus. And many of us, just we just assume wrongly that means that, oh my God, I gotta be like the son of God? And then we just, we, we kind of deduce from there thinking, oh, that means I can't do what Jesus did. Are you hearing me? It's like someone coming up, coming up to you today and saying, okay, you're gonna be a great golfer, okay? and you're gonna be just like Tiger Woods. And you'd be like, oh, that's never gonna happen. Right? I don't have his talent, right? And many of us kinda, of, we take that and we project that onto our relationship with Jesus. So when Jesus says, I want you to do this, this, and this, many of us, are, we just feel, we feel overwhelmed. But we don't have to feel overwhelmed because Jesus never pulls out his God card. Jesus sets an example for you and I on how to live the life that he lived 
by utterly relying on the Spirit of God. Jesus, the Son of God, utterly relied on the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God that anointed His Son to do the works that He did in His ministry. Are you relying on the Spirit of God? Do you know if you are in Christ? Am I, is this too deep here this morning? Do you know if you're in Christ, you've been given the Spirit? 1 Corinthians 12, you have been incorporated into the body of Christ because of the work of Jesus, and you've been made to drink. I want to jump. I don't know why. You've been made to drink of the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God in you. So we don't live by soul power, somebody. We don't live by willpower. We don't live by our own volition or our own personality. We live by a spirit-empowered life. It's the Spirit of God who pours His love into your hearts. It's the Spirit of God who gives you purpose. It's the Spirit of God who empowers your life to overcome the world, the flesh, the devil, all the temptations, helps you navigate all the difficulties of life. And it's the Spirit of God who empowers you to do the work of Jesus. It's the Spirit of God that empowers us to build for his kingdom. It's the Spirit of God that empowers a community to be who God has designed us to be. It's the Spirit of God that empowers us to reflect his wisdom and his love back into the world. It's the Spirit of God that helps us share our faith with someone who does not know Jesus. It's the Spirit of God that gives us the power to serve and to love our neighbors and that person at the store and that person at work. It's the Spirit of God. 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 We need the Spirit. So it was Jesus was able to live the life he lived because his source was not the God card. His source was the Spirit. Three things we must remember, right? Three things we, can, we, we cannot afford to forget as we move into this fall season. I feel like this is just a prophetic moment. Guys, we have to immerse ourselves in this intimate, interactive, love relationship with the Father, right? You, you, can't, you can't live off borrowed faith. You can't live off my relationship. I can't live off your relationship. We can't live off each other's relationship with the Holy Spirit. We can't, we can't borrow authority. We can't borrow purpose. We can't borrow power, right? We have to make a decision in our hearts if we're not just going to make it but thrive in this hour because there are people out there in this world that desperately need people who can thrive by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot forget that our number one responsibility is to be immersed in the love of the Father. Second, as that happens, as we make a decision to know God's love by being in his presence, God's going to give you a fresh purpose. Guys, as we go into the fall, we, we, we need to know what God wants for us. As a community, we need to, okay, we have four months in the fall, right? As a community, we, we need to get the mind of God. Okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do as a community? How can we serve our city? We need, we need to get that big vision. I'm telling you what, this church, if we make a decision 
to engage the Holy Spirit. We're no longer going to live in complacency. We're no longer going to live with small frame thinking. Our frame of reference is going to grow. I want us to be a big frame thinking church filled with the purpose of God. So as a community, we need to know the purpose of God. And as individuals, we need to know God's vision. God has a vision for you. God is some, God is something so much bigger than you think he has for you. It's bigger than just kind of going through the motions. It's bigger than just making money. It's bigger than just having achievement. I'm done. I want to go longer, but I know I'm done, right? God's purpose is so much bigger than you just watching football and celebrating the holidays and all of that's wonderful, right? God's purpose is so much bigger. And here's the, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this very carefully. Some of you are suffering from ennui, which is the French word for boredom and emptiness, and you have a lot. And the reason why you're suffering from that, that sense of emptiness is because you don't know your purpose. You can come to church, but if you don't know your purpose, you're still going to feel empty. What is it that God has for you? That's the question that I want you to ask yourself. That's the question I want you to immerse yourself in. And then remember, not only do you need the love of God, not only do you need to know God's purpose for your life, you need to have God's power. And everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm done. Father, I thank you for your message this morning. I thank you that we would remember that we're loved by you. Thank you that you would give us a fresh revelation of your love. I also thank you that you would fill us now with a renewed sense of purpose. Let us begin to dream like we've never dreamed before. I even see, as your eyes are closed, I see some of you, you've had dreams in the past and you've kind of just, you've forgotten them. The Holy Spirit has spoken to you, think, uh, spoken to you in the past about certain things. And I just see God resurrecting those dreams. God coming to you and, and causing you to remember what he has spoken to you in the past. I don't, this is, guys, this is going to be a great fall. Whew. It's going to be a season of purpose. I declare that over every son and daughter now in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.